in the office for three days. Oh, nice. Yeah, meeting people and going out for dinners and things. Doing normal human stuff? Yeah, but not my typical lifestyle. I feel like I gained 10 pounds just eating New York bagels. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ready to get ready to get back to my healthy lifestyle, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but it was so nice meeting people. So many people I had just met, I know, over Zoom for the last almost two years. So strange. Yeah. yeah you yeah. and I get to Fair meet enough. the end of April, which will be awesome. Like for the first, for real, for real. That'll be cool. Oh, for the VP meeting? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So I did drive down here just a little bit ago. Dazed so you're and fresh, confused. Yeah. Fresh off the road. <laughs> <laughs> fresh. Fresh is one word for it. So it's all good. So how have you been? We haven't talked in a long time. Once again, life gets in yeah, the way. Yeah, things things are going really well. I just got back from Houston. We went to NASA for Amelia's school, like it was a field trip. Nice. So they made a weekend of it. It was pretty cool. Cool. It was nice. Never been to NASA before. Yeah. Yeah, lots of cool memorabilia and some shuttle stuff and they had the Saturn V rocket which was part of the Apollo missions in a big warehouse laying on its side and so you can go and Hmm. really get a feel for how massive that thing is. Wow. It's huge. That seems so cool. I'd love to see inside a a spaceship sometime. I also saw the very first rocket that took gosh what was that guy's name? Alan the very first US person in space you know what I'm talking about? Mm-mm. I gotta look it up now. Yeah, look it up. I feel bad. I don't know. I think it's Alan something. First U.S. in space. Alan Shepard. Oh, yes. I so know that name. They had the rocket there that Alan Shepard went to space in. And I was like, there's no way. that It looked flimsy and tiny. Wow. It was crazy. It's like, it was, it was crazy. Oh, that's scary. It's like, yeah. why would someone ever agree to get in that? And it, yes. <laughs> it's like seeing somebody, seeing a, the barrel that someone went over Niagara Falls in. Like, why? Yeah. Yeah. It, you, you see the Saturn V and you're like, okay, this makes sense. It's like a proper rocket. You see the the shuttle, like the little airplane looking one. Mm-hmm. That kind of makes sense. Actually, they had the Falcon 9 rocket there from SpaceX as well. Oh. Which was, that was smaller than... I would have imagined, but it, that made sense. But the, the Alan Shepard one, I was like, there's no way. Like that guy, that dude was brave. He <laughs> had to be looking at it. Is that thing going to brave and like, also reach crazy. orbit? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even sure that it, I don't think it went into orbit, right? It just launched and then he orbited the earth like three times and came back in. But, but I don't think, I think he was like falling the whole time, like back towards earth, if that makes sense. Yes. I don't think he, he could have just stayed because there was no, there would have been no mechanism to pull him back like on a trajectory. I think he just was going really fast in a spiral mm-hmm. downwards. But I, I could be wrong about Dude, that. That's so scary. Yeah. Like yeah. how and how did how did he slow down? How did he slow I don't know. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I did well. tell the kids I'm like, hey, the, the only way to to come back to Earth from space is to fall from space. Like that's <laughs> that's pretty much it. That's There's no true. flying, it's just all falling. That so. is true. Wow. Did anyone there say anything to Amelia about her name? Amelia no, and Amelia Flight? Earhart. Yeah. No, not really. No. It was uh, and then Noah wants to be a astronaut that fights aliens now. So perfect. that's cool. That's yeah. perfect. So <laughs> the future is safe. Yes. <laughs> not worried now. I'm pretty sure if we met aliens they'd be friendly. Like I'm sure we'd be friendly. Of but, course. 
who knows. But I appreciate yeah. that he's willing to appreciate that he's willing to go to, to stand up for, for the earth. <laughs> stand up for earth. Somebody needs yeah. to be. Hey, we're, you know what? He's ready to go. We're a tro- we're go. a troubled lot. So thank you, yeah. Noah, for being willing to stand up for us. Yeah. We can just get him billable on a client until then. And he's got a suit now. So we're going to a wedding, oh, brother-in-law's wedding so here in, a, in a, about a week. Oh, that's cute. So nope. he's got a nice blue suit. This is terrible. As soon as you said suit, I immediately thought like astronaut suit. Oh, like maybe you got him a costume, yeah, which cool. would have been really fun. Yeah. Well, Halloween's coming. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we'll see what he wants to do. That's fun. What yeah. a fun trip. It was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. So that's why they say Houston, we have a problem. Yeah, the mission control stuff is there. So cool. Yeah. Well, what's all, what is in Florida or off the coast? The of launching. Florida? You oh. launch from Florida. Okay. Totally. And I think some built like the manufacturing and stuff goes that like the assembly. I don't know a ton about it, but yeah. definitely the launch pads are in Florida. That's what I thought. Well, yeah. very interesting. Please, please remove from this recording the fact that I did not know. The difference of what was where. We'll just edit it. We'll edit it all out. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> As a functioning adult American, I feel like I should have known that. Well, mm. well, this chapter is interesting. Yeah, it's not what I was expecting. Mm-mm. It was cool though. Yeah, especially in light of all the uh, the differences we have right now. I'd, even the title of it, Bad Blood on the Diamond, Bad blood on is the not diamond. what I thought yeah. it was going to be. So chapter six, Bad, Bad Blood on the Diamond, I don't I, I don't know if I thought he was going somewhere with blood diamonds. I don't know. Associate, oh, you know, dissociation my head went Moneyball. Like oh. I thought it was going to be a sort of expose on some of the biases that like a, scouts, yeah, MLB scouts use for mm-hmm. players and how it's generally not helpful, but. He went a lot of different directions. Yes, I I did. I went a whole different direction with bias. So diminishing prejudice by (laughs) destabilizing stereotypes, but pretty, pretty apropos for our general social climate at the moment. Destabilizing stereotypes is such an interesting idea too. Like it's not something I've considered before. I always think about uncovering biases Mm -hmm. and almost like assaulting them and shining a light on them. Mm Mm-hmm. And here it's like you you're poking at them, like the stereotypes, biases. They're they're on shaky foundation, right? And so, like thinking about ways that work and don't work to try to just poke on on them to to have them fall apart, and then it's up to the person to build up a their worldview in a more stable foundation, mm-hmm. which is not a way I've thought about this before. But I I like the idea because I feel like that's an interesting way to to approach conversations and and teams and, and like a leadership role mm-hmm. is you're just like poking at biases, destabilizing stereotypes yeah, instead po- poking of poking at them, them and also highlighting them and going on looking for looking for a much more stable common ground or pulling on empathy. So many different different things woven in here. I'm I'm currently coaching a manager at our firm about how to better understand his client, understand them from the, from the human perspective and walk a mile in their shoes. And it, it is very interesting, not this person in particular, but just in general, it's very interesting, even the biases that come up in the, the us versus them conversation. They don't want to buy this or they don't understand our needs. They don't want to pay. They don't, there's, there's always this very 
easy and not quite accurate way of creating a bias in every single conversation. Yeah, like a group bias. Yes. Yeah. Which is a dangerous slope. Yeah. That the, the chapter outlines, yeah. Yeah. So other than being surprised, what did you think of this chapter? So I, I liked the... I was surprised at how... What's the word? Aggressive sports fans are about their team. So I watched the... the I'm a Cowboys fan, which is depressing most of the time. But I don't know. There are There are Cowboys fans that, for instance, hate the Redskins and the New York Giants. I guess Washington football team now. But they're when I when I watch them, I, I want them to win because that puts us in a better playoff position. You know what I mean? I'm not like, oh, I hate the Giants. They're a terrible garbage team or whatever. I'm just saying, oh, this is a division game. It's important. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that you have Yankees fans saying it would take the Boston Red Sox to play Al-Qaeda for me to root for them, and maybe then I wouldn't, is a is a crazy level of... I, and I, maybe I don't mean crazy, but it's an intense level of loyalty to a group mm-hmm. that is not helpful. Yeah, I, I have more firsthand experience with that, for sure. Lots of sports fans in my family, and there was a lot of hate of very specific teams. And the say the early mid-70s is a little early for us, but... I remember hearing stories of my dad and his brothers watching Pittsburgh Steelers and Dallas Cowboys football games oh, yeah. and hating yeah. the Cowboys. And then it became the Steelers and the Cleveland Browns and then the the Baltimore Ravens because the Baltimore Ravens were once the Cleveland Browns and the list goes on and on. But yeah, there's some significant hate. The Pittsburgh Penguins and the New York Rangers hockey teams. So I, I most of them, I think, the conversations I hear, I like sports and the conversations I hear are more about a position in the playoffs, but every so often there is a team that's, nope, I will, I would root for anyone but them, anyone. Yeah. I'm not rooting for a team, I'm rooting against yes, one. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it was interesting too, because the you and I are big fans of like individual responsibility and things like that. And it turns out a lot of the remedies for destabilizing group biases and stereotypes does is not quite the one-to-one relationship building empathy building because then it's easy for the person with the group biases which you and i have a ton of to use that example as an as, as an exception to the rule not oh maybe i need to rethink this whole group that this person's a part of mm-hmm. and again there's such a there's more very i think isn't this true I, i'll have to fact check myself on this one but i do think when you slice a group of humans, there's more variability like in a group on a bell curve than across groups as well. And so you're much more likely to find like massive swings in whatever you're slicing on mm-hmm. within, the, within the group itself. I, I think that's true. I'm not 100% sure though. I, I He alluded to something like that in the chapter about groups having more in common than not but they certainly don't experience one another or perceive one another that way. Yeah. yeah. But that alternate so, slicing is interesting. Yeah. The, the building empathy thing, it does take as part of the equation, but it certainly didn't. It solves for the one-on-one, which makes sense mm-hmm. and builds trust, but it's not, a, it's not a way to break down beyond 
at scale, like the the group stereotypes, which was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The more I I got a chance to, because I was driving, I got a chance to listen to this chapter a couple different times and was just made me hyper aware of of all the biases around me everywhere I look, including myself. And it's 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 just one of those things where if you don't as soon as someone makes you aware of it, then that's all you can see thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. You maybe didn't hear a song being played until someone says, Oh, I really like this song. And you can't unhear the song. But even I can now I can see them everywhere in my life. In and I like to think of myself as a pretty balanced, <laughs> fair person. But at work, in my family, the the constant assumption of something lesser about that other person or group of people. Yeah. Well, and that that's helpful, right? The getting your yourself or other people to pause and reflect about the stereotype and why they hold it, why mm-hmm. we think the way we think is a good way to to poke at the at the stereotype itself to destabilize it. Yeah. And some of the interesting facts he listed were well, his were some around the KKK, but some of them were also in, you know, around sports figures where people don't even know why they have a certain bias. Just that I grew up this way, or this is what other people told me, and I didn't check my facts, or this was this was what my my clan, if you will, my my group, my family unit was was encouraging me to do, and so I just became that per- I just took on these beliefs without actually thinking for myself and asking why. Yeah, and that that led to my favorite concept in the chapter, counterfactual thinking, which is basically imagining ways which events in your life might have turned out differently. And so there was the example, I think, of one of the clients Adam Grant had was really into astrology, and they uncovered a, a bias against one of the signs and said, oh, and you know, what if you were born in Asia? You would actually be discriminating like probabilistically against this this group and that really helped break down like putting yourself in, oh, if I was born in this circumstance, I would be a Red Sox fan, not a Yankees fan. I would actually not like this group instead of this other group. And so it comes back to the arbitrary nature of what we talked about before, but also it helps you get outside yourself a little bit and think through, yeah, what would my life be like if, the, if these things were true? And I think that kind of helps as well. So counterfactual thinking, I think, is is really beneficial in several areas of life, but when we're talking about addressing stereotypes, that's it's definitely helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really interesting. It never, never, first of all, never even occurred to me that one could be biased against another person simply because of their zodiac sign. But if you're belie- if you believe that that person is born with a set of attributes because of the time in which they were born, then, then I guess it is, it's, I, I can understand, I can understand it. Although I don't, it's, it's fascinating to think that one could be biased for that reason. Yeah. Well, and, and here, I'm looking it up in the book now. So if, if you're a Virgo, and I don't even know what that means in China, there's evidence that you are just, disc- you typically get discriminated against in hiring and dating because you're stereotyped as being difficult and ornery. Yeah, so I think in the book, the word in in Chinese, the word translates to virgin. And where maybe in 
Western cultures that has more of an association with youth and innocence in specifically in the example he cites in the book that the translation of the word is associated with older old women who are virgins think like an angry grumpy librarian almost so someone who's very picky and structured and not very friendly or warm so yeah and that's in my mind I think that's ridiculous, but I know that there's a dozen that if I are like were articulated to me about ways that I think I'd probably nod in my head. Yeah, that's true. And other, other people would say that's the silliest thing I've ever heard, which is, I think an interesting maybe side angle of this chapter, which is, and, and it goes back to pointing out the arbitrariness of the stereotypes is like, it really is ridiculous. If you take a third party objective view, it's almost always silly, seems silly but yet you hold on to them so tightly. You're muted. Thank you. I agree with you. It sounds ridiculous. And then I think that isn't it not equal is it not equally ridiculous for me to have a bias against someone who's born in whatever, I'm just making something up, South Georgia or something, simply because of where they're born and what I have known before about South Georgia Georgians as a northerner. Certainly Certainly my data isn't completely baseless, but it is, if I'm extrapolating it to someone who hasn't proven to have that attribute, then it's a bias. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. So we're in this interesting role as as leaders and, and maybe, you know, one, one thing we've been talking a lot about lately and we touched on last episode too is the future of work, sort of the, what are we, how are we going to ask people to come back to work and all those things? And there's all sorts of, biases I have that people who joined the workforce who have never known coming into an office five days a week also have biases, right? And so, like, how do we get past that sort of just differing worldviews about how work is done? That's going to be really interesting. And and I think if if you're not, as a leader, identifying and socializing and agreeing upon, like, guiding principles, what are we really trying to prioritize here? Hmm. Right? Then, and in, in, in a world where we try to prioritize like human growth and potential instead of revenue or margin or whatever, or just company growth. But if, if what we're saying, for instance, is we, we're going to prioritize the individuals who work at the, in this organization, your career growth. And because of that, we have an opinion, an insight around how that happens, which means we can't be five days a week remote because we think that in order to maximize your individual career growth, that journeys, right, then that requires in-person collaboration. Maybe not five days a week. There's some Goldilocks zone in the middle. And probably has nothing to do with days per week. It's more of like event-driven and, and much more personal than that. But then you're going to come across people who think, I, don't, I never need to come in. You have to commute, and I need to buy a car, and I have to go buy different clothes now that seems silly and so there's there's an interesting dynamic there that even in articulating what i think could be a, a good argument for some kind of hybrid work model there's still stereotypes biases in, in there about how i prefer to work mm-hmm. as well especially as an extrovert that's one i just like being around other people i don't like being at home all the time yeah that's a really interesting application it 
it aligns with one of my favorite parts in the chapter, which was the part about the highlight about empathy, where someone was more likely to change, to, to be less harsh toward a, a person from a rival university or to be more helpful to them if they understood them to have a, a, a real human need like a financial difficulty or some some various health difficulty something that that was essentially out of their control there was less less kind of a, a less holding fast to one's bias which when i think about it in the example you're raising of what is our future of the workplace we do have to empathize you have to make a great point we have to empathize with people who have never been in an office setting or for for whom that isn't the the orbit or that isn't the sun around which we orbit or people who people who are introverts who have perhaps really been thriving in an environment where they're able to turn on and turn off their their interaction with people a little more effectively than when they feel like they're inundated and have no choice yeah yeah exactly it's a, it's a tough it really is a tough scenario marrying even bias of opinion and bias of structure with this new ask of leaders. Yeah. And and preference, right? There's opinion and there's like what you think the future holds and how to be effective in that. But then there's just like what you'd rather do mm-hmm. as an individual, which by definition you have to sacrifice part of to be a member of an organization. And yeah. so there's there's that kind of piece that we've experienced our whole lives. Like when you go to school, there's a dress code, right? And there, I don't think that's fully been articulated or thought through as well either. Mm-hmm. I agree. There's also a, there's a bias, to, there's extreme bias toward some to design something, blow the whole system up and design something completely new again. And then there, and then from others, to move backward. So there's several different variations on a small evolution, a complete revolution, and then the layers of whether or not someone can can actually be developed to their highest potential yeah. without the without some form of interaction. And those then those who get who are willing to have the interaction will get an unfair disadvantage. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe the answer. Some, that, yeah. That's what I've. That's what I've heard. That's one. That's one argument I've heard, is that those who yeah. are willing then to be present, if you will, will get an unfair advantage. Oh yeah. I actually. I, I don't know if this is a bias or not. We're just talking about stereotypes. I would be willing to die on the hill <laughs> that says, whatever the average is, it's probably bigger than team smaller than company so probably just think about your geography right so the the campus that you are a part of in your organization so in ours that's like offices right Dallas mm-hmm. office New York office whatever whatever the average amount of time that your peer group in that location spend in the office if you spend more than that average you will reap outsized benefits you just will. It's just it's the same thing as if you're coming into the workforce. There's studies that show if you work 48 hours instead of 40 hours a week, you make 50% more over a career. 
Like these things are just almost laws like gravity. <laughs> they just work out very predictably. And so, yeah, if you're if you're in the office more than your peer group, you, you one you're gonna find yourself sitting in your cube as an individual contributor, and some leader or executive is going to be going to a meeting and feeling like they are in a teaching mood and pull you along with them. Like, oh, you're next to me. Come come here. We got to go and we're going to talk about this thing. Come join. You're just going to be around. You're going to be top of mind. Not to mention, as you grow in your career, this like the, the more and more important it is to be effective in meetings. And if there's eight people in the room and there's four on the phone or three on the phone, the, we don't have the technology there to to manage that well. Yeah. Like it's still the same it was as it was in 2019, which was terrible. Yeah. You're always disenfranchised, right? If if the the majority of the people are in the room. It only works when everyone's like sitting like we are in, in front of a microphone and a camera. And so yeah, you just multiply that by hundreds of meetings a year, you're just behind, right? And so and I think if you you can certainly mitigate it, but I think if you think your organization is better than these laws of organizations and humanity that have existed long before us, then I think you're in for a rude awakening. But again, that's could be wrong. I don't know. No, I think I I fully agree with what you're saying. One could argue that if a person goes the extra mile to be present, do they then not deserve that leg up? Yeah. And then the, the counter of that is what if you can't? What if you can't? Right. Right. Yeah. If you, if you have some kind of limiting factor. Yeah. So this gets very complicated very quickly. Very. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a going to be a very interesting next couple of years to see how these things normalize for sure. But it's not it's not just newer people coming into the workforce, it's everyone who has a different yeah. expectation of what what they want and what they need. And then you're going to have we're talking about group stereotypes. You're going to have and and I've I've heard I've legit heard this where some a leader has said in an organization that will not be named. It's not ours, though. No one ever says it, I, I would hope. But it's all, all my team players. All my team players are coming in. Oh, that's awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty terrible. So that's, yeah, you're going to have the, especially on the outliers, or the, sort of the left most standard deviation and right most standard deviation of the bell curves. Mm-hmm. You're going to build up these group stereotypes around people who are just more in the office and who aren't. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You mentioned something earlier on in a conversation, maybe, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes ago, you just mentioned it in passing though, about the intentionality, the intentionality of getting together. So is it really just in the future? Is it possible to, to work around this by not, not having Uh, presence or availability? Presence, presence is a skill. (laughs) Presence isn't a skill, but so what if you indexed around intentionality of getting together and made it possible for people regardless of what their golf style handicap is, regardless of whatever they need to work around in life, if you made it possible for them to be present. And that might actually mean for a single parent, mom or dad, might mean you need to provide some childcare so that they can bring their kids and also be present or any number of things. Yeah. So so that's really interesting. Malcolm Gladwell talks about this, I think in Outliers, but I can't hear you. height is correlated. F- oh, you can't hear me? I can now. Okay. Yeah, go back to so, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell talked about this in Outliers, I think, where height is correlated with the ability to play in the NBA. But there is such a thing as tall enough. The tallest person in the NBA is not the best player. Mm-hmm. 
Right. And so there's a range, but usually if you're shorter, with few exceptions, you just can't make it. And so there maybe there is a presence, like just present enough, where maybe you don't reap all of the benefits of the person who's in the office twice as much as you, but you get 80% of the way there, which is maybe played out over the course of a career could could be very impactful, but it certainly mitigates for maybe a season in your mm-hmm. life. So if you're on the lower end of being able to come into the office, like maybe thinking about making extra intentionality around the most important sort of gatherings. And then I think sharing your needs too. It's like, I have a young kid at home. I won't be able to come in as much, but I really want to be part of this. Share that so you're, you're top of mind and people just don't think you're flaking. People make up mm. these stories, right? Of why you're not acting like them. Right, right. And so I, I think that would be helpful. Yeah. So another another thought that's been stewing in my head during this chapter and, and now in this topic is this idea of how does empathy play a part? Because empathy, this is a bit of a tangent maybe, but empathy almost, in this example, empathy is almost always going to mean some kind of customization, which is heavy lifting, okay? But I wonder... One, one, one response I've heard to uh, say pushing back on, oh, designing a future, future office experience for everyone based on what they need is, well, there's no standardization of that. There's no scale of that. And just a thought would be rather than leaning away from exceptions, what if the exceptions were, were embraced? And again, I don't know where this ends. Can't I can't envision that, so I'm just throwing this out as a thought experiment. What if it, exceptions were embraced, but as much as possible, in the spirit of empathy, details were shared with more transparency? So an, exam- yeah. an example would be, well, we're not going to ask people to move back close, right? And not just because some, some people don't want to. Some people have whatever, elderly parents that need them now that they didn't a couple of years ago, or they found a better school for their kids and they really can't. So it's, it rather than saying we're not going to make exceptions, sharing a bit of the human side of more exceptions so that those who are naysayers, what we're, according to, according to Adam Grant, pulling on someone's human empathy makes them more receptive to the need of that other person, even a rival. Yeah. I remember, and this is still in the work from home sort of flexibility thread. This applies so much more broadly. But when my daughter was born, I had quite a commute to the client that I was at. And I had worked out like, hey, if you let me work from home Monday and Friday, that will help me be around and, and be able to help out. But also, I... I I will use my, the time I would have spent commuting, I will work those hours. So you're going to get 44 hours a week for me for the price of 40. Mm-hmm. And that worked for a little while. And then like people started complaining because it was an exception, right? Right. And so there, there's this, like this thing worked out for me as an individual. There was no vocabulary around like these hmm. exceptions. Maybe I should have gotten it. Maybe I shouldn't have. But I do think that flexibility, those exceptions should come with some visibility, right? So again, people are going to assume the worst. And so you should get, 
you should have to share maybe a little bit. Not maybe I have this specific medical condition, mm-hmm. right? Like that, that wouldn't make any sense. But like as much details as you can share, the more the better. The more empathy you're going to get, the more you share. And also, there's an added level of responsibility. Like you're getting some value. The organization is bending towards you, which is hard to do. What What are you providing back? Mm-hmm. I think that's a fair question like it should you should view it as a bit of a trade yes not just something that you're entitled to sure yeah that's good that's good yeah I think the more the more we can share a little bit of that human journey with each other it's almost like asking it's the golden rule right but what would you how would you want to be treated if it was you you'd want you would actually want to be the exception but that's not where we go hence his hence his chapter on yeah on destabilizing stereotypes so yeah and you had mentioned earlier like the whole some people want to break down and start over i'm wired that way like in in my head part of me is let's just kill this thing and build it up from scratch but over the years i've realized that i'm not smart enough there there's a lot of and so netscape tried this with i think mozilla firefox where they were tired of netscape navigator not being modern when browsers first came out and they said we're going to rewrite the whole thing And that ended up being a terrible business decision because you lose all of those like late night, three week pushes to fix some kind of esoteric bug that you've like finally worked around and have it stable. Like all of that sort of compounding. We don't ever design things perfectly architected from top to bottom and it works as designed. It's a bunch of little tiny tweaks and, and bits and bites and pushes and pulls that over the course of years, you don't really realize how much has gone into it. Now, you get a lot of drift. There's certainly a lot of downsides, but you can't just pull everything out because you lose all the hard work that was put into solving very real problems that you're going to have to go and resolve now. And so I think that's tough. And one thing we're doing too is at at the team level, we're going to have teams basically decide for themselves like what the right cadence is Mm -hmm. with some guardrails. And and then we've said it's going to be up to the leaders on the account to go and advocate for the team's preferences. We're going to put in together a working agreement. And some of those will have constraints about here's, we have real work that needs to get done. We can't be lost on that. And and does anybody in this meeting want to have the responsibility and accountability for deciding for your peers and your team what what the rules are? Do you really want to do that? (laughs) Because you don't even, you don't know what they have going on, like that kind of thing. Do you want to hold everyone around you accountable to the rules that you set? Mm-hmm. I bet not. That's a that's a heck of a weight to carry. Yeah, it's a lonely job being a leader. Yeah, yeah. I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But we yeah. do it. But we still do it all the time. Yeah. Right. 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 This was this was a much deeper chapter than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I was like, we're only going to talk for eight minutes on this. <laughs> what are we going to? We're going to have to find some time to fill it. But we'll fill it up with, with talk about NASA. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> really, really interesting. Thanks for, thanks for taking us there on the, the future of the workplace and that time. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, it was accidental. But I think the counterfactual thinking piece was, is a good place to start and guiding principles, right? So what would it be like if I just graduated a year ago and this is all I've ever known? Mm-hmm. What kinds of things would I be viewing differently? And then what are what are the core principles, priorities, whatever, that we're really solving for here, right? 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good way to say it. The decision is this, the guardrails are this, because we are prioritizing this. Yeah. And if you don't like that, we can have a discussion about it. There are probably other organizations that will prioritize the thing that you want. And if that's your highest value, like maybe this is not a good fit. Mm-hmm. Which would yeah. be unfortunate, but then there's also, you can attract yeah. others that have that. So I, you're you're going to have some fallout regardless, sure. but at least if you're explicit about it, very transparent and upfront, mm-hmm. then you don't have someone who feels the tension of those misaligned values over years, right? That doesn't help anybody. So I'm I'm very interested to see how this is going to work out. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, we're going to lose some people. I think I don't want to, but I I think we are. I think we are, and but we're not alone. We're not the only company, but still, it doesn't make it. Yeah. it doesn't make it any easier. Doesn't make it easy. Yeah. You know. Cool. All right. Well, hey, I'm glad you're back. Thank you. Same to you. Very excited it was good chat to with you. Yeah, this was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we'll talk next week. Next week. See Bye. ya. Bye.